everyone, welcome to the new media show. My name is Todd Cochran. Of course, I want to say good morning to my co. I was trying to remember what time we were doing this, Rob. Good morning to my co-host, <laughs> Mr. Rob Greenley. How are you doing, Rob? Doing terrific. I know doing it two two times a week now at different times kind of messes us up a little bit sometimes. I mean, but yeah, this is the time we've been doing this show for what eleven years now, Todd. Yeah. So. so yeah. It's, uh, I think it's a 10. I think we're actually 10, 10 okay. this year. I actually think soon, I think it's this month or something. I, I, I you know, who keeps track of that stuff, but anyway, yeah. uh, everyone welcome to the show and we got a great show lined up for you. Why don't you introduce our guest, Rob? Yeah, I've got Donald Albright, who's, uh, calling in to, to join us and he's the president and co-founder of the Tenderfoot TV um, network of sorts. He's got a, uh, was it three different podcasts now, Donald, that you guys are in the We're true up. crime area, a few in the true crime area and a couple kind of true crime adjacent, but yeah, we're up to, I don't know, seven to eight podcasts now. Yeah. In total. Yeah. Yeah. And Glad to be Donald here. is also the, the vice chairman of the podcast Academy too. So oh, awesome. Wow. So I get two of you to, to, to quiz on a little bit here today. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I ran uh, Rob through the ringer here pretty good uh, a week or more ago. And uh, we had a good conversation about what's coming with the podcast Academy and excited about that. So you guys have a, you guys got a tough, uh, tough road to hoe ahead on that uh, from, uh, you know, getting it up and running. I, it's a lot of, can't imagine the amount of work you're going to have to do, but, uh, you know, we're all appreciative of, of the work that's going to be done. And I know you're getting paid the big bucks. Ha ha ha. ha. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but Todd, let's, let's go ahead and start off. I mean, I want to hear all about what Donald's doing in the true crime segment on the podcasting side and, and see, you know, how the, the world that we're living in now has changed the true crime uh, as far as popularity genre, and also just, you know, kind of, um, you know, how that, uh, genre in the podcasting space is, is going, yeah. uh, Donald, is it, I mean, from what I've seen that the numbers have really exploded over the last couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in podcasting in general, but, um, I mean, true crime has just been this phenomenon. This really hasn't died down. I mean, if you really look at the consumption of true crime from novels into TV, film, documentary, yeah. podcasting, people just can't get enough of it. So um, we really jumped into the industry. Um, I, I kind of it was just kind of luck, you know, at the right time. Um, you know, Serial had, um, you know, was a, a big splash in I think 2014. We came in 2016, mm -hmm. and really with that model of investigative true crime, and it was just I think at a time where everyone was looking for the next thing after serial and you know we were able to get slotted in there with some other shows as well and just kind of take advantage of that hunger for true crime and since then we've kind of built our company uh around that audience so it's not that we were just really like junkies of true crime we just were um we just have found a niche and it scaled based on audience because you know we're a small company only two owners no investment anything like that so we just scaled our brand based on our current audience that was successful with Up and Vanished and um, yeah, scaled out to Sworn and Atlanta Monster, To Live and Die in LA, Culpable. Those are all of our true crime titles and just built a business out of it. So um, yes, yeah, it's, it's, I never thought I would be in the position that I'm at, to be honest, because we never set out to really make a podcast company. Um, 
the name of the company is Tenderfoot TV, and that's because it was aspirational. You know, we wanted to have a TV production company, and the goal was to make a true crime docu series, but with no resources. That idea got, you know, I won't say reduced down, but uh, reformatted to a true crime podcast. So I'm just riding the wave and trying to learn this new industry every every day, learning something new, meeting good people like you you all, and uh, trying to expand our our, our business. You know, I, if I look back at the podcasting genres as they came through the space and, you know, Rob and I've been in this thing since the get go and it kind of makes us having seen different stuff. And if I, oh, what happened, Rob? Something's- uh, it's, it's my cameras turning off oh, on and off on a regular basis. Oh, that's lovely. We're, we're seeing your menu system, but I'll, I'll keep talking while you're showing us the Sony camera menu. Um, one thing that we saw in the early days is there was these audio dramas that were being done. People were doing like old school radio dramas and it was, it was kind of in a modern sense. And it was, it was, it was pretty slick, but those took a lot of people, a lot of time. I'm assuming a lot of money and they kind of died out for a long time. And then really this true crime storytelling stuff, really, Rob, what do you say? How many years has it really kind of been? been back well maybe donald knows better than i do i don't know it just all of a sudden it was I think it's back. been about you know as far as that genre has been around probably for at least five years now yeah and i don't know if serial probably serial like you said donald probably re-kicked it but up to that point it was kind of like this sub i don't know i don't even want to say niche because now the 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 the, yeah. the, the, the category is like whoa it's it's strong and you guys are doing good so what resonated with me is something you get. You said you started off wanted to do TV. So did it just was too much money? You couldn't get someone to underwrite it. You, what, what was it purely financial that you couldn't see the TV yeah, goal? So, yeah. So I have a music background. I've been doing promotions, marketing, management, A and R for twenty years out here in Atlanta. And uh, Payne Lindsay, my business partner, also comes from the music world. We we actually met. He was a music video director and was working on some music videos for an artist that I was managing on, on Def Jam. And awesome. um, he's always been behind the camera. So he always saw things, uh, you know, looked at things and ideas visually. And he was just sitting down one day, probably burnt out like I was of the music industry. And he wanted to do something more creative and was watching um, the Jink making a murderer. I was like, how come I'm not making one of those? And then he just set out to go find a case to like, put together a deck and have some information and then hopefully go out and find an agent or studio. Then we realized, you know, three months into the investigation and there's, we don't have any resources in, in Hollywood. There's no one who we can call and say, Hey, you know, I have a true crime documentary mm-hmm. idea. So it was, it, it wasn't that, yeah, it was, it was, we couldn't self-fund it at the time. We couldn't, uh, and we didn't have any resources and, and connections to actually make it. So hearing serial he had heard serial probably a couple years before or just re-listened to it and it just clicked in his head like well if this can be this well regarded and this is good then i should take this approach for my true crime documentary and make it a true crime podcast so it was really those three titles um making a murder of the jinx and serial that formed really what up and vanished was and yeah we just took inspiration from those great projects Rob, I, I, I don't know if you ran into this when we were out in L.A. at Podcast Movement, but I had creator after creator come to the booth and they all had 
screenplays, stuff that they had already written that they were trying to sell and couldn't sell. And they said, all right, I'm going to turn this thing into a podcast. So Donald, you're not alone. There is a, there is like a huge, huge, huge number of creative people that have are on holding scripts to something. It may not be true crime. It might be whatever story it is. It might be a comedy, but I, I think there's a huge, and you're already probably finding this out. I think there's a huge business opportunity to, to get connected with those folks and cycle them into, into your system because you guys have figured it out. But I I think it's also Todd. it's the, it's the, it's kind of two sides of this question and it's fiction versus our, our reality based. And, and I think up to this point, the reality based stories like this on the true crime side have have really flourished and but from what i'm hearing the fictional side has been struggling a little bit is that donald's something that you've uh seen or have you guys tried to push into the fictional side yes we have so i think you're 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 right in podcast terms um the way we monetize podcasts unscripted or in um interview talk style shows uh Yes, I would say that scripted is struggling in that regard because they cost a lot of money and they're harder to monitor. Um, so even if they're successful, if you're breaking even on a scripted podcast, you're really uh, you're it's a it's a win because the the true goal is to then uh, have the derivative um, value in that project, take that take that IP to TV or film, and you're really using the podcast as a um, a, a script, but much more than a script, right? You're building an audience, you're building, right. um, you're developing characters, you have, um, you know, marketing tool titles, you're proof of success, not concept, which is how our podcast and unscripted also play out when we're going to pitch those. So I think the difference here is that, you know, the, the finances are so much, um, it's so much harder to make money on a scripted project, but we're, we're dabbling in it because a lot of, like you, like you mentioned, a lot of the, uh, Hollywood studios, writers, producers have these scripts that are either not necessarily old scripts that they couldn't sell. Some of them, some of them are others that just would rather start as a podcast because the base is growing so much and they can build this really unique right. and core audience and then use the, use the, um, success podcast to actually sell the, be more successful in selling that TV show or that, or, or film. So, um, yeah, we're, we're dabbling in talking to production companies. We're working with, um, HBO right now on a, um, a scripted, um, scripted project. I wish I could t- say more, probably like in, in a couple sure. of days, it'll be out, but I sure. just can't say it right now. It's, it's amazing. I mean, I'm a big fan of this show and, um, we were able to work with the creators, the writers, the directors, the talent, and, um, produce a, a, a one-off scripted, um, episode um this, that relates to a, a premium show on hbo so um yeah i mean we're we're that was really us getting our our feet wet in a full uh fully produced uh episode that's scripted but we also have a hybrid show called radio rental uh, which is coming back in a couple of weeks for season two uh rain wilson is host and it's a hybrid where we, we're telling true stories that are first person account scary stories, their close calls, brushes with death, things like that, all told first person, but it, it's, uh, it all exists in this fictional video rental store. So the, the true stories are actually um, meant to be, meant to be, um, to live on actual VHS tape. She would go in a store and rent 
when you listen to it, you're hearing more of a documentary. So Rain Wilson is playing the video store clerk who provides some, you know, the comic relief. You know, mix a good blend of like spooky and 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 comic and comedy, and blend it all together with um, these pretty incredible stories. So there's that's that show is probably about thirty percent, twenty five thirty percent scripted. So we've been working on that for the past year or so. So we're we're edging, you know, are you know leaning over into that area a little bit more and more um, each month, really. Does it does it blow you away when you think about the budget you spent to do? you know, the stories that you've done, done the shows that you've done, and then they'll start talking to TV people and the budget is just like many multipliers. And you, I, 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 I'm, I'm thinking, and I'm just, again, predicting that you're going to say, oh man, if we, you know, if we'd had the money we could have spent on the audio series that, that they're going to spend on a TV series, we could have done 20 shows potentially. Oh, is, is that, yeah. is that yeah, accurate it's, or? It's, it's, yeah, it's accurate. It's, it's amazing, you know. Up and Vanished that was our, our first project. We adapted that to a unscripted um, series with Oxygen. We aired a, a pilot in 2018, and then we aired six episodes this year in 19. And yeah, I mean, one episode, a half of an episode <laughs> of that unscripted series, which is you know those are lower budgets. Script was our, was a whole season of Up and Vanished. So you know, we'll, 30 minutes of TV content. <laughs> is about you know, 20 episodes in the podcast and this is like our podcasts are still pretty expensive like we do we shoot we we record them over you know nine months or so we travel first case was in georgia which wasn't far you know south georgia only a couple hours from us but the second case was in colorado so we traveled several times back and forth to colorado had the office space out there like it was an expensive season dwarfed by 30 minutes <laughs> so yeah <laughs> You know, so I, go ahead, Ralph. Oh, I was just um, what's your what's your production process, and and how involved are are you guys in all aspects of the of the storytelling production? Are you guys doing the scripting, doing the interviews, doing? I mean, are you guys doing everything, or do you outsource some of this stuff out to other others to help? Yeah, I mean, for us, <clears throat> it's really. We're a small company, and what we've we've learned to be nimble and move however we need to move mm-hmm. to get a project done. Um, and I can't really name any project that has been produced the same way. Some stuff is completely in house, where no one outside of Tenderfoot touches the project. Um, Radio Rental, one of those uh, projects. Um, Up and Vanish Season One is one of those projects. Uh, and then there's a some will outsource mixing and mastering only. Um, the creative usually stays in house unless we actually have a true creative partner. In the process. So, um, to live and die in LA was a true collaboration with Neil Strauss. Um, unscripted, true crime, real time investigation. Neil was the writer investigator. We were very hands on in the development and kind of the strategies of how to approach a story like that. Um, mm-hmm. So it was very collaborative. Um, same thing with um, Culpable was a big podcast that we had last year with a a group from. Um, uh, Kentucky, a production company called uh, Black Mountain Media. They did, um, you know, a great job with that. True collaborative partners, writing, hosting, all that. So it really, it really breaks down whatever's best for the story, whatever's best for that partnership. And um, you know, we have also partners that are creative partners and um, distribution partners. So we have shows with iHeart, mm-hmm. and we started that with um, we did Atlanta Monster uh, back in 2018 with How Stuff Works at the time. Um, 
after season one, they were acquired by iHeart. So iHeart became our business partner. And we ended up doing a few more seasons and series with with iHeart. And they we actually were able to hire um, a production team within iHeart uh, specifically for our shows. So that was more of a partnership and a, both on the creative side and on the distribution and hosting side. So we're able to move however we need to to make the show right. um, as good as it needs to be or can be. Can you right. give me a rough on what a per episode average is? And I know probably runs that probably a wide range, but what what's what's your production cost on an episode? It's oh, it's so it's so yeah, it's a huge range. Um, we have shows that are if it's if it's investigative, which most of our shows to date have been investigative, except for uh, Radio Rental. Radio Rental has healthy budget because there's so much involved scripted unscripted a lot i mean we travel if there's there might be two stories in one episode or three that's three trips that person could be new york lay and colorado and we're taking all those trips to get that first person count in person um that could that can range anywhere from 25 to thirty-five thousand dollars per episode uh on the on the low end um we can do an in-house production that can be ten thousand per episode, um, and but our our productions are usually between if it's unscripted true crime, you're you're to get ten to fifteen episodes, usually between ten and twenty five to thirty five thousand dollars per episode, which I, I, is which makes it um, which makes it you know it it really depends. So you're it's a pretty healthy investment when you know you're going ten to fifteen episodes. Um, mm-hmm. luckily we're, we're able to, we, we know our track record and what our projections are. So we're, it all bounces out at the end of the day, as long as we can deliver the numbers, you know, that's how the business works. You know, we, we have a strong audience that, that when we're doing something like live and die in LA, for example, I know that that's exact audience for up and vanished when we're doing something like radio rental, it's a little more of a risk because it's not, it's, there's, there isn't an exact parallel for that show within our network shows. So that's when we use our relationship to go, you know, run, do swaps and promos with other companies and try to find, find that audience. Cause it's honestly, we don't already have in house. So, but you know, we, it's, it's all about the stories for us. So as long as we feel like we're telling a great story and an important story, then it's, it's worth investment, worth, worth the risk. And we're slowly building and we know it'll, it'll pay off at some point. Rob, you know, that, that number kind of blew me away right there that Don right. just said. And if you think about it, I, I go back to early days of going to NAB and I would have guys come to the booth and they're like, Hey, I'm a production company. We can, we can help you do audio. And it's only going to be $2,000 an episode. And at the time I laughed at the guy, literally, I'm like, you know, I'm like the average podcasters, uh, production cost is a zero. It's his time, right. you know, it's time to right. get the, well, you got the mic investment and you're hosting. Yeah, I mean, there's other stuff. You there's have to others, buy, but you know, those are usually one-time investments right. or hosting or something yeah. like that, which and, is usually pretty and, low. And even this show, you know, our show is, you know, relatively low pro- production. We, we, we do it live. We get it done. I cut it up. I, I really don't edit it. I do this, do a little bit of sound work and boom, it's out and it costs them to me is a couple of hours. So I, I think a lot of podcasters that are probably listening to this are like, holy crap. 35 grand for an episode. <laughs> but yeah. so let's, let's take yeah. that into perspective though. So Donald, what are you guys seeing numbers wise on 
on an episode basis? What, you know, what kind of an audience have you guys got? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so up and vanish. Like that's our flagship show. It's interesting because we started that podcast much like the way the average podcast, the way you guys started 10 years ago. But, mm-hmm. you know, get a mic and let's start talking. But we were just talking. Like Payne was just kind of like talking to himself, right? He's like, hey, I'm going down to Osceola, Georgia to look at this, look into this case. And it's not being broadcast anywhere. Then we put it all together. So that, you know, there was probably $200 worth of startup costs. And then it was all time, sweat equity. Right. And just like, is this going to work? We had no clue. It was just a loss until right. someone said by episode five, hey, are you guys thinking about monetizing this? And we were getting probably the first two weeks, I think we got 5,000 downloads on episode one. And we were like, is that good? Is that bad? No, we've never done this before, right? <laughs> right. It's rocking. So, yeah, then it starts to grow. And by episode five, we're getting 10,000 downloads per episode. And Audio Boom reaches out and says, hey, are you guys monetizing this? What does that mean? You mean like make money off of it? And so they start selling ads on episode five through the end of the season. And this is now in probably October. By November, December, we, you know, it's funny. I have emails where I'm telling people how I'm in, I'm in the podcast industry and like, you know, all my music people. And I'm like, hey, this thing, I'm in doing this podcast is starting to really blow up. Like we're, we're about to hit 100,000 downloads. <laughs> and then like two weeks later, I'm like, we're about to hit quarter million downloads and half a million. And then Sometime in 2016, late 2016, we hit a million downloads and we're like, oh my God, this is incredible. We never thought this was right. Could happen. Right. And slowly but surely, this thing just starts to explode. I mean, you got to think that this case is in a <clears throat> small town of 3,000 people. So when you start to shake the trees, people start to fall out and start pointing <laughs> fingers at other people and saying, no, right. that guy knows something. She knows something and he's hiding something. So it Exploded in this small town, and then in the and in the county in South Georgia, and then just it blew up. So by January, February, we're at 10, 15 million downloads on an episode we, we per episode. In in total, for in the total, series. okay, but still, holy yeah. shit! Yeah. And this, <laughs> so to give you, yeah, that's a lot. Idea, by that time, we have twelve episodes out, right? And we're at about. 12 to 15 million downloads. So we're averaging a million downloads per episode. Then we get a, a call that there's a press conference and there's an arrest being made in the case. And immediately we're thrust into the spotlight on Good Morning America, Nightline, Inside Edition, all in a 24 hour period. And the next month we go from a grand total of 12 to 15 million downloads to 20 million downloads in March and on the series. So Episode one of Up and Vanish season one, I have to look, it's probably over 10 million downloads. And when we go out to sell, you know, new seat, new episodes of Up and Vanish, that's at a minimum of a million downloads per episode, up to 1.5, maybe even two, depending on what episode it is. And every one of our true crime series has averaged over a million downloads per episode. And and a total number of downloads for Up and Vanish to date is uh, closing in on 350 million. Um, to live and die in LA, which came out a year ago, or yeah, about a year and a half ago. That's done over 50 million downloads. Um, Atlanta Monster over 50 million. Uh, Culpable over 20 million. So all of them have well over a million. Home downloads. run, home run, home run, home run. 
you know. Yeah, I mean, so have you done any um, any specific marketing around these things, or has it always been kind of word of mouth and 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 spreading through you know buzz in you know in the news media or 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 what's been your your growth strategy? Yeah, it's interesting. So we 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 didn't have a growth strategy to, at the beginning, right? Well, the strategy actually. Let me take that back. We right. did. We bought the first thing we ever did was buy Instagram, Facebook ads, and Twitter ads targeting this town where these crime happen. Um, that oh, was the first money cool. we ever spent on marketing outside of, you know, like I said, pain lives behind the camera. So if you go back and look at Up and Vanish season one trailer, it's a video trailer that makes this look like it's a Netflix documentary. Like that's what we wanted it to, to, we wanted people to see this and say, oh, I can't wait to watch that. Where is that going to, is that on Netflix? Is that on HBO? And it's like, no, it's a podcast. So that was always our goal. And so marketing wise, I, I wasn't involved on the creative side. Like Payne was, he's the kind of guy you just give him a camera, give him a microphone and send him in a direction. He's going to go find the story, get everything done. I was there from, from the business side. I was there to support. And the first thing he needed from me was he wanted to buy an ad on another podcast. There's a podcast uh, from the AJC, which is uh, Atlanta Journal Constitution, a, a newspaper here in Atlanta. They had a podcast called The Breakdown. Um, or was it his breakdown with uh, it, it covered at the time Justin Ross Harris case, which was known um, internationally as the hot car, um, uh, hot car death, which was when he left his son in the back seat of the car and he got convicted for murder. Um, so that was a true crime podcast based in Atlanta. And Kane wanted to buy an ad on that podcast. And like I said, we were funding this thing out of pockets, and out of credit cards, mm-hmm. and we didn't have a lot of money. I had about $3,000 worth of available credit on one of my credit cards and um i was like okay do i want to really put this money into this podcast investment but i knew that Payne needed me for something and this is what it was the ask finally came in so we we negotiated that price down to 2500 bought an ad on the breakdown and that investment in ourselves paid off you know we put we the the week that that ad ran steve wilson from apple tweeted out our cover and then gave us new and noteworthy. We didn't know Steve at all. He just liked the cover uh, and liked the, you know, was intrigued by the by the artwork. We got mm-hmm. new and noteworthy. We got a tweet on from Apple Podcasts, and we ran an ad in the breakdown. And I kid you not, from that moment, this thing has never stopped taking. And that was our first the first time we ever invested into you know real money into the market podcast. Since then, obviously, we now know we know the audience. We we're able to market our podcast off of other podcasts. So. We market all of our true crime podcasts internally, also on other podcasts. But th- that's more traditional. You know, how do, how do you find a podcast listener, you know, on another podcast that, that they're listening to? That's the best way to do it. But we've also, we have such big titles and we have such big um, ideas for how we want people to perceive these titles that we've done, you know, outdoor billboards in Atlanta. We've done digital billboards. So for Atlanta Monster, we put a billboard up with Wayne Williams' mugshot next to our podcast cover and put that all you know over over the city and uh did digital ads did uh bus ads all that stuff so wow this is a serial killer who people they know his face so we really we we knew that it was it would impact people in a way like oh like what is that like i know that face what is atlanta monster is this tv show is this this podcast what is it so we just knew like how to tap into the audience even if it wasn't a podcast listening audience because you know the people who remember the Atlanta child murders from the early, late 70s, early 80s, 
aren't your traditional podcasters, right? They're more, they're largely the black community um, and largely 45 up. That's not your target podcasters. But we wanted them to know about it because it, it impacted them. So we've taken a few different marketing approaches that are more for what I like to call um, the benefit of medium in itself. Because for me, anytime a podcaster does something outside of podcasting that brings attention to podcasting, it benefits all of them because it puts podcasting on a different level. So I'm having constant conversations with Steve and with other uh, platforms and trying to push the envelope and like, how can we, how can we get podcasts billboard the way Apple has um, Apple Music billboards? Mm-hmm. How can we get podcast billboards? How can we get more Spotify billboards for podcasts the way that they have Spotify billboards for, you know, uh, Taylor Swift and Future and all these other acts? Like, how do we, how do we get that type of in-market presence from these platforms that make people, you know, really pay attention to this medium in a, in a way that they never have before? I think you guys are, you know, if I, if I look at what you guys have built here, which is incredible, you know, I, I think there's a lot of podcasters here that can take some lessons. And even I'm, you know, I'm sitting up listening because Rob and I keep talking about how do we build the listener base of podcasts. Mm-hmm. We, we continue to think that the listener base of podcasting is trailing significantly all the new content creators coming out. And I think what we found is you guys purely came from indie to begin with. You were, you were as indie as you could get getting started, self-funded this thing. And I, I always applaud people that self-fund. I think that's because you, you got your heart and soul and your, your credit card on the line. And, yeah. uh, you know, and you, you got mama looking at you right. going, well, you did what, you know, you, you spent what you maxed my credit <laughs> card out on what I mean, I, I've been there, you know? So yeah. You know, and, and you know, had the finger in my chest saying, you got you got two years to figure out how to make money on this thing. And I, I've, I've been there and done that. So um, I think that is tremendously commendable. And I, but I think at the same time, we can all take some lessons here and say, you know, what does it take to get the podcasting space, the exposure it deserves? Now, granted, there's people that are going to be doing shows. They don't care. They're in their basement, hanging out with their, their friends and doing a show and just doing it for fun. and but there's other people that's trying to break out. So I don't know. Right. I just, your, your story here is very exciting to me. Yeah. Thank you. So how, so how important has social media been to the growth of the, your audience? I'm, I'm just curious, Donald. Uh, it's played somewhat of a role. I would say it's not as impactful for what we do as much as it is for personality driven podcasts. Um, mm-hmm. If you are, uh, a solo host of um, more of a talk style or interview style show, like what, what you guys are doing. Everyone, they're so tied into hearing your your voice, your opinions every mm-hmm. single week that they can, if they want to get a, their fix from of your opinions and what you have to say throughout the week, they're going to tune into social media where <clears throat> our hosts are very much, they're a lot more reserved mm-hmm. and they then in the podcast is more out front than the host right. being out front and what you, what you guys are doing and what other, some of these other, you know, massive shows that are out there. I mean, you can go from Rogan to my favorite murder, but you know, and they all have their, their different audience. They all have their different themes and, and twists and what those shows are about, what makes them unique. But what I find is like what people love most about those shows are the hosts of those shows, no matter what they're talking about. They, 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 they've connected with that host. And that happens in a sense in the 
true crime space with up and vanish to live and die in la but these are true stories and you have to be very mindful of the sensitivities around these cases you can't mm-hmm. put yourself out front even if you naturally are out front because you're the one doing the investigation your is your voice there's a victim here and that victim has to put front so right. you have to walk a very right. fine line when it comes to how much do i you know talk about this and make this uh a a not a spectacle but you know utilize social media for the greater good of the podcast because it can be so successful just within the podcast space and we try to use social media as um and you know additional uh place for information for um some visuals that you may not because there is no visual in podcasting i mean we, we none of ours are done this way where we're in front of a camera so it's just it's just audio so we want to have our our covers and things like that we'll do we'll pull like very unique quotes that are from the episode our damning quotes or important stats and we'll put those on social media and we try to have, have you know a well-designed page and invest money in graphics and all that stuff but it's less about the interaction with listeners now we'll do other things where we let our listeners interact with each other so we had a message board for up and vanished which was insane i mean the case i mean it was part of um it's part of the case our message board for the season one of up and vanished is where a lot of the finger pointing was going on where everyone was anonymously giving tips where one of the guys who was a co-conspirator who's now doing 20 plus years prison was actually on the message board defending himself trolling trying to point fingers to other people and it's actually where he released illegally leaked the confession of his co-conspirator in a way to clear himself and the the gbi investigated and tied that back to him so it's i mean our, our message board was 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 discussed in the georgia supreme court and our podcast was discussed in georgia supreme court hearings over this case so we try to provide a space for other people to talk about these shows versus us really being the main um, communicator of the message. Let the people get in there because it's the people who are really helping to solve these cases. That's, that's what's unique about our shows is that it's also difficult is that we're producing them in season. We're not, it's not like a documentary where we're producing it, polishing up, making it perfect, putting it out. We're producing episode to episode because when the case breaks, everything changes. And now we're chasing leads in real time. We're putting out a podcast. We're putting out episodes in real time. We're taking, we're taking tips in real time. And that tip that you leave in our tip line on Thursday could be in, in the podcast episode on Monday. So that type of feverish, um, uh, you know, the, the I guess it's the I don't know. It's it's the way it's this sort of rabid fan base. Which they're not really fans though. They're really like these justice warriors that want to see this case solved and they want it mm-hmm. so bad that they're out there trying to solve it online and right. you know making right. you know it's interesting yeah. because i was involved in a situation two three years ago that resulted in an individual getting some time um from inappropriate behavior as a teacher with a student and right. i was running the online social media and what I found, and it's interesting as you talk about this, but what I found in my situation was, is because we did it on a public Facebook group, is that I had as many haters as we had supporters coming out. Basically, people trying to undermine our work 
of what we're trying to get out and get the information and get the public involved and asking for other victims to come forward and stuff. And so we actually found that the forum almost ended up being like, you know, we were getting our, the, the, the finger pointed ourselves as much as the perpetrator. And it really was for me kind of challenging in that standpoint. So it's very fascinating when you say you work on the brand, you work on the graphics, you put this site together, then all of a sudden you've got the community coming in and a common cause trying to help with the case. That's what I wanted. And we, I felt we failed in that, in that effort. Now we, we ultimately got a couple of people, a couple of people fired, resigned, someone convicted, um, I don't know. I, I don't think I had the same satisfaction in the end, but it sounds to me like you guys have had a, the ability to to build this. Now, do you get some of that? Do you get some of the people pointing the finger back at you guys saying, oh, you're just spreading bad information or how do you deal oh. with that? Yeah, we can talk for an hour. About that part. <laughs> so, there's everything that you're saying. We've experienced that. We've experienced that on Basically, every every podcast, these as many people as there are that are that are in support of you, there are not not as many people. It could be half the people, but they're twice as loud, right. three times. Right. So, I mean, if you're going to be a host for a true crime podcast and it's going to be at all at all, then prepare for a storm of hate finger pointing, um, everything that you stand for will be called into question. Did justly or just, did you guys um, get libel insurance or what did you, did you guys get insurance to kind of even protect the company and yourselves from these stories? Yeah, for sure. We have a healthy policy because we, you never know like these, even if you're not directly pointing the finger at someone, um, the audience is going to come to that conclusion, you know, right. because you're just laying out facts yeah. and, We'll put our opinions in there and say like how we feel about people, stuff like that. But it's less really about that. It's more about the listeners who are like, you're doing this wrong. You can't do it this way. Um, and you think about it. Payne is a, a documentary filmmaker and director. He's not a journalist. He's not an investigator. He's not um, a, an attorney. And if you look at who, who, have, who are the people who are doing the most impactful, the biggest true crime podcasts. They're journalists. They're these social justice warriors who are attorneys or um, investigators. They're uh, you know former detectives, police officers. So we got it from the podcast industry itself as well. Because it's like, wait a minute, you can't do that. Like the way you're doing that is wrong. And we were like, look, we're not podcasters. We're just some guys from the music industry and the film world. And this is how this was our interpretation of a podcast. We don't know a lawyer who can go do this. We don't have we don't know journalists who can go do this. Payne just said, well, I can go do it. So let me go do it. But people don't understand that the reason why it worked, not that it doesn't work in other, other situations. Clearly, Syria was amazing. And it worked. And that's from a journalistic perspective. Very and pretty down the middle. Our podcasts aren't as down the middle because there are mostly it's just individuals who are telling this story. But the approach to the investigation, like Payne is literally, you know, he's knocking on doors. He's crawling under houses where someone said there may be a, a body. You know what I mean? Like we're actually in the investigation, but he's doing it the way 
any person out there would do it if they were to make this podcast. And that's why I related to the audience so well. Now, I mean, I've related as well to people who who had rules on how you could make a true crime podcast. But we went we came into this with no rules. So and in podcasting, there are no rules. So were you ever um, worried about your safety at all, especially on the the murder podcast? Oh, yeah. Uh, a couple of times. Less, less me, most of the because he's the voice of this thing. But um, there's, you know, a couple of times from authorities and from oh. these no name, no face having, you know, suspects out there. Because at, at a certain time before there are arrests, you know, someone did this. You don't know if they've left the country. You don't know if they've left the state. You don't know if they're still living in that town. And, you know, Kane has had situations where he was leaving Osceola, uh, Georgia, headed back to Atlanta, and you know a GBI officer walks up behind him at a gas station and knows who he is by face, knows what he, the car he drives, and starts asking him questions. Not in a, in a um, harassing way, but just like we we see you and we know what you're you're doing here because the GBI didn't look great in this in this case that we were looking into. You know there were some some definite issues. Oh and man, they, they dropped the ball. So you know they didn't. Who weren't their best friends, but even scarier than that is so the guy who was on our discussion board who was defending himself, he ends up getting arrested and he has a a deal in place to testify against his co-conspirator. And so he gets arrested and he's out on bond the same day. And we end up uncovering more information and blowing up his deal. And this guy is now he has no deal. He's probably going prison they're no longer no longer cooperating witness so we've already destroyed his his plan of early release or no prison time while while out on um on um on bond he commits two more crimes rape two women Mm -hmm. and is now on the run and we're thinking this is going to win end one of two ways this guy is either going to go out shooting and not because he doesn't want to go to prison or he's going to try to settle the score and drive a couple hours to Atlanta, find Tenderfoot TV, find Payne, and go out with a bang that way. So there were about that was like a five day manhunt wherever they were looking for this guy, and we didn't know what to think. We're like, okay, we need to be take precautions. This guy could you don't know what's going to happen. Luckily, they 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 found him. You know, he got arrested again. He's now facing those two charges, and he was already convicted on the other. So. He won't be out for 20 plus. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's out of the way. But yeah, that was probably the, the scariest time where it wasn't a direct threat. And there have been some direct threats, but nothing, you know, threats of violence, but not threats of like, I'm going to kill you from an anonymous person. Um, but when you have someone who actually killed someone and disposed of their body and then um, rapes two women and he has, and the person he probably wants to take this out on the most is the podcaster who exposed him. Yeah, it was still pretty scary. <laughs> scary you know, you, you, you really struck a chord with me here because I was living in Hawaii at the time and I was joking about coming home to see family. And I was telling my friends, I said, I, I'm going to need security and maybe I need to wear a bulletproof vest while I'm home. I was kind of serious because I had gotten some threats from some of the stuff that we had exposed. And I, I think, too, you alluded to it a little bit, but, you know, we saw some authorities we thought were. Mm. they weren't working in our favor. Let's just put it that way. We felt that there was some protection going on of individuals because of their status in the community. And 
it, uh, you know, maybe it plays in some of the stuff that's going on right now today is that oftentimes we've, um, we don't think about the politics in towns and how people act and where, and, you know, I'm a small town America and, uh, everybody knows everybody. You don't move back to a small town and have secrets because everybody knows your secrets because it's a small town. So I, I, I think it's, a uh, it's, you're running, it, feel, it feels to me at least that you're running into some of those dynamics and have seen that. So is it, does it piss you off? Oh yeah. I mean, to see what's actually happening in these cases. And I think I, I, I have a healthy respect for law enforcement. I think it's an incredibly difficult job. Um, in high school, I was mentored by police officers in San Jose, California, where I grew up. Um, there's, I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a tough job. And the conditions in this country don't make it easy for that job to be done well um and to uh and the resources i think are, are are not there for the community and for the police that being said there are a, a, there are bad officers there are lazy officers not even just bad not even just not crooked these people who just don't do their job well and that's what we've seen in so many of these cases then we see people that are in that same precinct that same county that same office who are exceptional and we talk about them much less than we talk about the ones who are um, bad apples because the consequences are so much higher when you, when you solve a crime you're supposed to solve. Right. When you right. hinder a prosecution, when you are the reason why a crime doesn't get solved, now you're not doing the job that you were supposed to do. So that, that's why we don't give as much praise as we do criticism. Um, but it's just amazing when you see, you know, this this 10 year old cold case that was up in advantage season one could have been solved two weeks after there you know where this where um this missing teacher you know 30 29 30 year old teacher high school teacher she was you know went missing she was murdered her body was uh dumped on a uh, pecan orchard and the police were called to that orchard and they were off by um, a, a sheriff while on their way to go search. And had they not been called off, had they been able to search, maybe they would have searched and found where her body was disposed of. And it just was, I, I don't, I don't, it wasn't a conspiracy. It was just, you know, ties that are too close to the community where it's like, Hey man, you know, if, if I know the sheriff and I hear someone mm -hmm. is coming out to my property, I'm going to call the sheriff because, you know, we hunt together, you know, we, we watch ball games together and the sheriff and that something like that, you know, or I have a prominent business in this town right. and I don't right. want the police right. on my property. So I'm going to call in a favor. Hey guys, there's nothing over there, you know, pull, pull back, nothing, you know, don't worry about it. That's exactly right. what happened. Or in their department, and rivalries, everything. Right. Yeah. Oh, right. yeah. It's yeah. It's there's so much. There's there's so much, and, and I think the, we're so into as a as a country, everyone is looking looking for the conspiracy, and they're looking for it to go like, man, how high does it go up? Sometimes it's not a conspiracy. It's just incompetent. It's just a favor for a, a buddy. Yeah. And right. the budget right. doesn't necessarily know. The chief doesn't necessarily know, and it makes it much less of what you would consider a conspiracy, 
it doesn't make it any less wrong. It still makes it where that person didn't get justice or that person was abused or, you know, whatever it was that that officer didn't hold up his end of the bargain, you know, for the community. And that's what we're seeing um, in, in a lot in so many of these cases. There's, there's, there's almost there's, there hasn't been a case. I mean, I guess it doesn't make a good podcast if that doesn't exist. Yeah. Because right. Our <laughs> podcast have that, right. that in there and from from as, as small as one officer or one officer and one agent that just didn't do their job well to a district attorney who completely overlooked it because um, they thought there might have been a crime that they didn't want to deal with. So they just labeled it, you know, uh, unresolved or undetermined or suicide to yeah. get it off their desk. We've seen all we've seen it all. I tell you, the thing you know, that pisses me off the most is FOIA requests because I did a bunch of FOIA requests. And I kept getting stymied and stymied and stymied. And when they would finally say, okay, we're going to prove your FOIA request, that's $3,000, please. And, you know, it's just this, this, you know, you're supposed to be able to send a request in for information. They're supposed to do their due diligence within due time. You sure you got to pay for the processing. But, man, FOIAs, to me, there's so much information in FOIAs. We uncovered so much from that. That was almost 90% of us saying, hey, 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 here, looky here. This is where the problem is from before. Yeah, it's the system works for you, but you have to, you got to grease the wheel, got to continue to grease because they're not going to make it easy for you to do anything. Yeah. And what do you do if you don't have someone like you on their side, someone like a, a journalist or a podcaster who is willing to take that on? A private investigator is going to work pro bono. If you don't have the money, the money to pay for the request, to, to go investigate, to, to hire the right investigator. I mean, on the LAPD website, at least it was on there, they might have taken it down now, but we were doing to live and die in LA. LAPD website basically says, hey, if, if you have a if you're an adult missing, there's not much we can do for you. We suggest that you hire a private investigator. If you can't afford a private investigator, we suggest that you go to the Salvation Army and they can provide some sort of resources to help to help you look. Hmm. So because they're viewing it as a missing adult, there's no proof of a crime. So they'll probably just show up. And oftentimes when they don't show up, it's too late. So it's, and, and that's not just the fault of like police not wanting to do the work, but there's other crime that's taking them away from it. They're, they're not enough uh, detectives, you know, that are to look into those kind of things. That we have, you know, a, a lot of police usually on the ground to, to handle things, which isn't necessarily a, a good thing. I don't know that we need police, you know, doing as much as they're doing on the ground. I think we need more investigators, detectives, um, people who can work within the community, not just enforce the law, but actually investigate crime. Um, so yeah, it's just, you know, there's the, the, there's an imbalance right now that doesn't make it easy for them to do their job or for us to get services that we need and require from faith. Rob, I interrupted you earlier. What were you going to no, ask? No, I was just going to ask, I mean, has there been any situations where the police have um, made an arrest, but you guys have continued to dig? to try and either you guys didn't think that that was the right, right guy that they caught or blame for the crime. And you guys kept digging and did that cause a problem? Um, yes. Two, well, two instances. I mean, one is, uh, pretty well known and the Atlanta child murders, um, Wayne Williams is in prison. Um, it, this is, these are serial killings that happened in Atlanta from, um, 78 to, 80, and I believe he was convicted in 81 or arrested in 81. Um, there is a lot of evidence to support that Wayne Williams is guilty. Um, he's serving uh, life in prison. 
uh, for two murders, but he's serving life for two adult murders. There were 29 victims. Most of them were young black uh, men uh, or boys, actually, from mm-hmm. 10 years old uh, to, I believe, their late late 20s. But most majority of teenagers um, and two of them were actually um, young girls. And Wayne Williams is tied forensically to several of these murders. He was convicted of only the two, two adults, but they brought in 12 of the murders in court through a pattern. So he is considered a serial killer, and he's attributed to at least 12 of these murders and they convicted for two, but they, um, they closed all the cases except six, knowing that they didn't even have enough evidence on a lot of those cases to even present them as pattern evidence. So there, there's so many reasons of why this was done, one of them being that you can't have 29, and these are the only ones that were reported and categorized the Atlanta Chopper. 29 young black um, boys, young men uh, missing and murdered, and only put a, lock up someone who for 12 to 15 of those because to the community, we're still on alert. There's still a killer out there. And so what they had to do was close majority of the cases, say we got the guy off the street, now back to business as usual. Um, and that's what happened in Atlanta. Um, and this was this happened because they needed the city to. They didn't need race rights here in the city. You know, Atlanta would not be Atlanta if it weren't for the sacrifice that those families made um, back in those days of the Atlanta child murders. Though those those victims, they're the ones who should be um, should be thanked. Those families are the ones who set Atlanta up to be what it is today. Because have those murders not been swept under? Have they said, look, there are killers still out there, and have there been race riots? Have there have they really uh, done a deeper investigation into the clan and their possible involvement? The city would have tore itself apart. The city was on the verge of, of not being the um, metropolis of the South. You know, it, we were we were really battling with um, Charlotte, North Carolina, and some other um, cities in the South to really be that hub of business. South would the Olympics have come to Atlanta in '96? Would it would um, would yeah. we be would we have uh, all this the, the music industry and film industry here right now if Atlanta had proven itself to be no different than the deep south, not the new south? And I don't think it would have. And I think the sacrifice was made by those those victims. And so as we continue to look into that case, we're like, look, there are probably other people out there. Probably, they may be dead by now, but we look deeper into that, and it's not a conversation that that authorities want to have. The GBI really wants. To the FBI, on the other hand, they actually agreed. You know, the profiler said Wayne Williams is responsible for probably 12 to 15, but it, it, it never made it all the way up the ladder. And the ladder went all the way up to Vice President George Bush. He was involved getting briefings on these murders um, on a weekly basis from the FBI, and everyone understood that this had to end. And so, that's what happened. So apparently there, so to your theory then, there's another murderer out there. There's another serial killer. Or several, and, or and, several. and it's not just about, about race. We, I believe that there was some clan involvement in some of those murders. I don't believe in all. I don't believe Wayne Williams was patsy, that he was set up. I believe he is guilty <laughs> of at least a dozen of those murders. Um, and But I believe he may have co-conspirators. I believe that there were yeah. other yeah. black, black young black men. He, Wayne Williams is a, is a 20, uh, early 20s um, black guy who, who did not at all who anyone thought we were looking for. Except right. for the profile, who actually profiled him to a T, um, mm-hmm. but a, a largely black city with all black victims in the South, 
everyone's mind is going to go towards race, racially yeah, motivated, right? right? Yeah, right. So when a black man was arrested, that also didn't sit well in the community because they're like, right. hey, this is, you're just trying to cover this up, sweep it under the rug. Turns out, at least in my opinion, and to those jurors, that he was guilty, but he, the injustice didn't stop there. The injustice continued when you didn't go out and try to solve these other six to 12 murders that we believe were not committed by Wayne Williams. And that's, that's something that has Atlanta still not um, really recovered from. There's still a deep wound, um, you know, there. So yeah. that's, that's one example of kind of going beyond. Um, and it's not just us who've done it. a lot of people that give credit to so many people who believe the same theory and have taken it beyond that. A more, a more recent example of that, to live and die in L.A., they're, um, the, vic- the, the perpetrator of that crime, missing young woman who was um, found murdered. And this all happens literally in real time. It's, it's not in real time with the real time investigation. It's real time in the sense that the investigation is real time. The events that are unfolding are happening in parallel with the police investigation. We're, right. honest, we're, okay. we're, so, we're in front of the police investigation a lot. We're in front of the news. So we're reporting on it, and then you hear it on the news a couple of days later. All that. So when you when you get immersed into this story, you hear like actual thing that happened, then you hear the news get it wrong. So you get this really interesting um, fly on the wall perspective of, of an investigation. The guy who um, was responsible, we we found out who he was. Police found out who he was. There was a manhunt. Um, they end up um, finding this guy. He, he ends up killing himself, and you think that justice is done. The LAPD says, case closed, we got our guy, no other suspect. We keep investigating mm-hmm. both sides of the story, from the victim side and from the perpetrator side. We get embedded with both of their families and we get access to so much of his uh, data, which is so important in this day and age. You can get cell phone data from a victim or from the criminal you can map out all their steps. Mm-hmm. So we we use use right. um, uh, Google Google data to trace everything, all his steps the day that she went missing, and that definitively proved that he that he did it more so than just what what police thought. We definitively proved when, where, how he did it. Discovered the wow. receipt, the shovel that he bought, the the the, the glove. Um, everything that he bought at this hardware store in preparation for this murder. So it was premeditated, obviously. Wow. But what wow. we just, in, in his cell phone record, was that one of the people, and I'm not going to spoil this for everybody, one of the people that was helping us try to get to the bottom of this was lying to us this entire time when he said that he had never talked to um, uh-huh. the suspect, that he didn't have communication, that he didn't know who the victim was. That he never met the victim, never talked to the victim. We 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 found out that he had talked several times. They were communicating this entire time, and that not only did he go to to his to this person's house, but he actually disposed of the body not less than a mile away from this person's house, and went oh. to their house first. So all the evidence points to this other person being a co-conspirator, um, not either in the murder or in the disposal of the body. And that person is not in jail right now. Um, so, but there's a ton of evidence. So we're, we're still working with um, LAPD. We're working with the sheriff's department in the county where this guy lives. And this person needs to be off the street. 
person is uh, is not a good person, and we have a lot of evidence that, that at the very least, he didn't. He's he's lying to the authorities. He lied to us, and we have someone who says the person best to me that he was involved. Donald, so, if, if if I had hair, I'd be standing up on the back of my neck right now because you know here's the thing I'm really coming to kind of grips with here, and it's I'm just I, I sorry I keep relating back to my personal experience, but there's there's thousands of these stories. You guys are only just touching a few, right? There's there's any any and and I I want to ask a personal question of your team. Does this take a a toll uh, mentally because this this is hard work. This is this is like deep in the guts in people's lives, their tragedy. I, I just cannot imagine not being personally affected by this because I know from what I little did in the case that we were involved with, it, it took a toll. So, how is your team? How's your team handle that? Yeah, we we talked about this. We we talked about it um, on some panels as well before. It it definitely can take a toll. I think you have to. It's it takes a toll because you have to be so invested in the case, and the people that you're dealing with are the actual victims' families, your right. friends, um, and you mm-hmm. you get to know someone that's that's no longer here, and you have this sense of obligation, and you, everyone. It's not for everyone. And yeah. even if you think it's for you, you could fall apart during yeah. it and just say, this is it's too deep. It's too hard. And the thing about it is like, it never leaves you. there. I'm still in contact with people from up in Vantage season one, friends of the victim, you know, exchange texts every, every now and then, not just about the case, just these people, Mark Smerling, who did the jinx, um, you know, he told Payne one time, like it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't stop when the podcast, basically what he said, like these people are in your life forever because you've now created this bond with them. So you can't right. really, it's a project, now it's over, and now right, gone right, to the next right. You're always involved. Anytime something comes up with Atlanta child murders, our, we get calls, we get requests for interviews. You know, When uh, Mayor Bottoms from uh, Atlanta Mayor, uh, she reopened, um, or they're re-examining uh, evidence in the Atlanta child murders. So you know, we're, naturally, we're going to get calls and you know, to be on CNN, HLN, and tell us, our, you know, give us our opinion on what's going on. So you're never disconnected from it from the moment you started and it can have a, it can have a toll on you. I, and I think we haven't been impacted to where it has really taken a toll, um, emotionally to where we had to stop, um, investigating. We do have to detox from it as much as possible and, you know, do something different and, and not go straight from, I mean, see like having being granted access to, thousands of documents from the LAP, from um, Atlanta PD looking at original crime scene photos. Ugh. That's not easy. You know what I mean? These are kids. You know? Yeah. Um, that takes a toll. That um, it's not, it's not what you think you're signing up for when you, when you're, you want to, you want to do this. You want to cover some big case. You want to try to bring, shed some light on it and let people even know about it, that this happened, that these victims exist, that you know about Ted Bundy and you know about Jeffrey Dahmer and you know about, um, you know, son of Sam, you don't know about Wayne Williams. Why is, you know, <laughs> racism actually ends up impacting murder victims as well and how those people are, how we remember them in those cases. So um, you want, you know, you, you want to do it for the right reasons. And once you're in it, you realize how hard it can actually 
actually be. So we, we've been holding up pretty, pretty well and you know, trying to spend our time doing other things and not diving from one major case to this other one. But it's fulfilling at the same time when you have a victim, you know, we're able to do good as well, right? Like, so Tara Grinstead, um, we've, we have a scholarship um, fund in her name that we've done the last um, three years. We've postponed it this year, but we're doing it again next year just with, with COVID and everything. But um, she was a beauty pageant winner. And she, the day that she was, um, went missing, she was actually the day of the pageant. You know, she had won that several years before, but now she was helping other young girls prepare for the pageant. So we sponsored that pageant for um, about the five years and gave $1,000 to the winner every year. Um, and then two scholarships for um, one male, one female student at the, at the high school that she taught at. Um, mm-hmm. So we, we were able to, you know, create some good out of it for the right. community. We started, a, um, a, we did a fund for the daughter of the victim of season two of uh, Up and Vanished, uh, who uh, obviously was left without uh, one, one of her parents. So just anything that we can do that it helps, you know, take the thing off of it a little bit when you know that you can actually do some, some good with these podcasts as well. You know, one thing that we found um, was we had, I have to be careful here. We had, well, we had information that there was other victims in our situation. And um, those victims, which we were pretty sure who they were, wanted nothing to do with the discussion. They had already, that was in the past, they're married, maybe they've got kids or whatever their life situation is. They don't want to be that to be drugged back in. So sometimes we, well, well, at least what we found was we, we could have put someone away a lot longer, but there was resistance by previous victims to come out and say, Hey, I was a victim and they didn't want, cause you know, they're, they've moved on from that. And, uh, they, for me, that was the hardest part. I, you know, I would want this guy to, you know, spend the rest of his days in jail and he's not, but, what can you do, you know, because the victim has said, I'm done and I'm done. So it's a dead end. But I think there's a lot of that in America. Oh, for sure. Especially in, in cases of uh, sexual assault. Um, yeah, that's, and it's, I understand where you're coming from hundred percent. My, my sister who actually works for Tenderfoot as well. Um, she is a forensic interviewer and um, counselor for sexual assault victims. And she sees it firsthand every single week and knows that how, you know, how hard that is for those victims uh, to come forward, to tell their story, um, either right after it happened and definitely years later when you're like, okay, I have some sort of closure. I've moved on. Right. Clearly, I'm carrying it inside somewhere and that's not healthy. But I'm, that is the, that is what feels more comfortable for me now than to r- rip off that gab yep. and experience this whole thing again. So yep. you have to be yep. sensitive to both sides. At the same time, you want to get this predator off the streets mm-hmm. that you know, will likely do this again if he ever sees the light of day again. So yeah, it's it's definitely tough. You you end up going there's there's this thing like that we always say when we're doing these these podcasts. If you're setting out to find the truth, that's different than setting out to get justice. And the truth is getting the whole story. Justice is putting someone away. And if truth is actually what you're after, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be uncomfortable for the community. It's going to be uncomfortable for the 
victim's family, the victim's friends, because in order to investigate, you know, especially when a woman goes missing, the first thing they're going to do, or in a sexual assault, even even more so, they want to rip apart the woman's life. They want to, or and see like, you know, mm-hmm. well, what were you wearing? Where mm-hmm. are you at? Mm-hmm. You know, how many boyfriends did you have at the time? All this stuff. And when you're investigating, all that stuff comes to you, and you have to figure out what I want to put in this podcast. If I leave this out, then I, how do I bring up this person who actually may be a suspect because he was dating her? And then it becomes, well, why is this about how many guys that she, she was dating? And you don't really get a chance to put it into perspective of like she dated these three guys, but it was over a nine or you know a three year period even, and it it just it becomes very difficult. And there are times when the family doesn't want you to do this, and you stop doing it because after you stop, you're you stop the 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 progress of truth or justice, whichever you're out for. And the family wants justice, but there's a there's a cost. And if in truth usually comes out as you're seeking justice. That's right. Or even That's when you seek right. justice, do you push further than justice to get the whole truth? Because justice doesn't always uncover everything. It could be other co conspirators. It could be, you know, people who knew and didn't come forward that, you know, could have solved this thing ten years ago. There's so many things you have to deal with along the way that you really have to figure out like what's what's worth it and how do i delicately handle the situation so i'm sure there's a few people listening to the show they're thinking about this might be a genre they want to get into and what you know what what is your what is your advice there it's me and Payne look at this differently (laughs) he always says like don't do it because but he's not saying it don't don't do it because um no one should do it he's saying it there's so much that you don't understand and you won't understand until you try it. And if you think it's going to be a walk in the park, you think it's going to be all the good and none of the bad. You've only, you've seen all the good that come from these true crime podcasts. You've seen a fraction. You've seen a small percentage of, of the bad that comes from part of what we talked about, the emotional soul, part of what we talked about, the backlash from the community, from podcasters, from family, from law enforcement. You've seen a fraction of that, nowhere near the whole picture. So if you're judging this, I'm like, man, this seems cool. Like, I can go do this and make a difference. It's not cool at a certain point. You know, when, once you're sick of it, you're in danger, or maybe people dislike you. You have to have yeah. tough skin. Um, and there, you know, I, I think that you should do your research, you should consider all the bad before you even consider any of the good. And you should prepare yourself on how you'll deal with that. Prepare your family. How will you deal with this on social media? Um, if this becomes a dangerous situation, are you exposing yourself, your family, your friends? Um, think about all that stuff. And then when you decide, yes, I'm going to do this, hopefully you, you're willing to take that on. And I say hopefully because there are so many, you mentioned it earlier, there are so many cases like this out there. Police no. don't have the time. The family can't afford a private investment. Um, the media is not writing about it. And sometimes it takes a person like you to go and dive into a case and bring attention to it and then document that on a podcast, put it out. It gets exposure. Now, next thing you know, you're on local news, local media talking about this case that may have never gotten the attention that it deserved. And if you start making some progress in the investigation, now maybe you're on national TV talking about this or your podcast is, is successful enough to where People are talking about international, so the good can far outweigh the bad. But don't you have to go into it considering 
everything that could go not necessarily wrong, but could be a reality that you're not necessarily prepared for. I think in my situation, it's uh, some loss of some lifetime family friends. It was the, do I need to watch my six more than I used to? That type of thing. And even today, it's kind of like, what are those like, is my car going to blow up? <laughs> you, know, you just don't, you know, you just don't know, you know, and I, I, I joke, but it's the truth, you know, but uh, yeah, I, a lot of that really resonates and that you know i rob we you and i talked about what i did before a little bit but we really never went into too much detail and right. uh but i was never set out to make a podcast about it i was just i was just working to get a guy to get some time right. for what he did you know and and along with four and really it was a small group four or five other people that really brought this guy to justice ultimately but oh man it's uh it is yeah <laughs> a lot of like tingling the back of my head here so rob actually we can get on some other topics here some other questions yeah well, for donald yeah i wanted to just talk a little bit about the the audience for these podcasts right uh, donald i mean i mean have you guys done some deep kind of like surveys or what, whatever to find out who's actually listening to these true crimes podcasts and and also kind of secondary to to that question is is has what's happening in the world right now had an impact on the the listening to these uh, these topics in these podcasts. Yeah, I think so. The, the um, on the audience. The side. first, yeah, yeah, the audience. Yeah. So the first question: We do surveys for most of our shows. At least we have for the past, I don't know, two three years. So mm -hmm. we get a, about two thousand people that respond to these surveys, maybe more sometimes, and it gives a good indication of who's actually listening. And we know. Um, you know, how many of are male, female, single, married, income, um, other podcasts that they're listening to. And like our listenership is 80 to 90 percent female. Wow. And that's a high number. And I think that that's across the board for true crime, which is really interesting because it's largely women that are the victim in these true crime shows. So they're. You would, you would think that maybe they're turned off by that, but actually, I think that they're, I think everyone is naturally intrigued by a mystery, um, and they want to know what happened, but also, if women are the victims, like, I think women are concerned listeners as well, right? Like, what did this person do right, do wrong? How could, could this happen to me? And, I, and they're like, they're so, they're related, to, they're relating themselves to that, to that victim. I think it creates this bond which is why I think women just consume true crime at such a, such a high rate. Um, but yeah, we have, um, we get these uh, spreadsheets and, and um, of all of this information that's very useful to, to know like products that they buy, all this stuff that are great for the advertising side. And just for us to know mm -hmm. like who is our target listener, not that we're targeting them, but that maybe we should be targeting them even more so because that's who's already listening. We just put it out there and, Target the podcast as an audience, and then we learn that this is who our core audience is, and it definitely helps us out. Um, helps us a lot. I think talking to my you know friends at um, and 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 uh, partners at iHeart and Cadence, just looking at the, I'm not sure what you guys are seeing in terms of listenership and, and drop off, but I think true crime may be seeing a little bit more of a dip. We're seeing about maybe 15 percent dip in listenership. I think people. Number one, there's more content about 
what's currently and there are, i guess there are two things currently previous to the previous to the, the protests um uh national international protests over um racial injustice um there was covid for two three months and right i think so much covid information out there podcasts people tuned in seeing in every day just watching body count rise and people in fear of their life um that that darker content um true crime maybe just wasn't what people were wanting to listen to i think also a big thing is the commute that no one was commuting anymore. so if you normally listen to podcasts on your drive to and from work that drive didn't exist anymore now you're home with your kid you don't have 30 45 minutes to dedicate to a true crime episode so i think that maybe as much if not more is the reason why for the drop off in true crime but in general in podcasting and for the most part in in longer episodes and serialized content if you have a new topic every day on a show that's maybe 20 minutes that's much more digestible for someone whose schedule just got flipped upside down but if you need to listen to episode 1 through 12 45 minutes each that's just not an investment you're probably diving into in this current climate um and then after COVID, obviously, you know, we, you know, not after COVID with us now and will continue to be for the right. future, but taking the headline from COVID is you know, what we've been dealing with, um, what we've been dealing with for hundreds of years, but what we've been dealing with most recently with um, Ahmaud Arbery, um, George Floyd, um, Breonna Taylor, so many names, and the protests that have been followed ar- around the country. I think that has actually woken people up to want to listen to, to podcasts that are in are about this subject matter in the same way that they wanted to listen to the CNN podcast about COVID. Um, and I think that definitely opens the door. I think people's minds are more open to people who were maybe denying this or just eyes weren't open are now seeing that it, it has happened and it happened at a rate far more frequently than they thought. And if they care enough about this movement, which I believe they do, because if you look at these protests, you see people of all ages, all races, right. um, and it's inspiring. So if those people are just now joining the fight, they're probably now more inclined to say, I need to hear and see more about how this has, what I've missed over my life. Those movies, those documentaries, those podcasts that are covering cases that have, you know, that are have a racial injustice or the the systemic racism and how that impacted this, the uh, these cases, the victims or the the um, the perpetrator, um, they are probably more willing to consume that content. Atlanta Monster would be one of those podcasts where if you if, if you're just now waking up, which it, it woke up a lot of people who were like, man, I'm from Atlanta. I've never heard of this before. How could I have never heard of it before? And that that reason is pretty glaring is that you know, it was something that would, that the country and the state and the city wanted to bury. And it's also, you know, the the if there is a victim that you can get away with not covering, not solving their crime, it's a victim of color. And that is what happened on a, um, a lot of child murders and a lot of monster podcasts. Same goes for, um, I mean, there have been several podcasts covering Freddie Gray to, from, the, from the names that have made national headlines to the smaller name. So I think if if there is a positive that's coming out of this, it's that people are opening their eyes and hopefully will take it further than the social media post, further than even going to a protest, and actually mm-hmm. educate themselves on what has been happening 
and then say, well, why is it happening? Donald, you know, I think there's a, an opportunity. You know, I was down in Atlanta to Dragon Con last year and, um, you know, sat in a couple of panels, had a diversity group talking about media. And, you know, I think what, what I kind of came to a realization just about a year ago that made me excited about podcasting was, was that we've got the ability now. No one can be silenced. No, the media can't shut a story off. The media can't change a topic and move to the next headline. Podcasts allow a continuation of the story and for to get deep in the guts of, of what's going on. Uh, and again, I've used this, I've told Rob and I've talked about this a dozen times, or at least I have on the show about you know, a protest that was happening and the media showed up and, and the media went over and talked to some white guy that was not even part of protest, asking him what this was about and what was going on. What was instead of talking to the, the protest organizers and they were so pissed because they were there trying to share a message and they, they were just ignored. So the media, in my opinion, doesn't always do any of these stories justice. They don't get in yeah. deep. They yeah, just cover, point. they just cover the top. And so for me, I think the thing I get excited about diversity in podcasting right now is they can't shut us up. They yeah. can't, they can't, they can't stop the story. And that's, and they don't, first of all, they don't have the time. They can't allot the sponsor time. They can't and sponsor issues. A sponsor may come back and say, Hey, you're, you're doing this too much. I'm ready to drop your show. They, they can't, you know, there's all kinds of factors that weigh into all this stuff. So I think podcasting is a perfect opportunity for us to have this diversity of a discussion, diversity of views, get people educated. Is, right. is there a way we can put a resource together of this, of these voices? Because there's really, we got to hunt for it. So maybe, yeah, maybe is. your team can lead and say, Hey, here's, here are, here's a, a starting list of great topics to talk, to listen to, or people to listen to is, is, is that something we can put together or. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, we've, there, I think, I think the podcast community has come together, um, even not, even if not organized, but there, I think there are a lot of progressive voices in podcast and that stretches across, you know, all races. And I've seen a lot of people promoting like, this is what you should listen to or can listen to. This is how you support podcasts made by black creators uh, or that are centered around black stories. Um, that's, that's important. Um, we want to support that. And we've been, we've been really talking about like, what can we do that's impactful? It's not as, as, a, as an industry, that's not just piggybacking on what the music industry may have done with the blackout Tuesday or with um, what organizers on the street are doing. like, what, how is podcasting? And we know it's unique, right? So we know why it's unique and how it's unique. So how do we use the uniqueness of podcasting in the audio platform to bring awareness? And so we're, we're working on some stuff now and have some ideas. And it's already crossing over into our content, obviously, with, with mm -hmm. Atlanta Child Murder. With, I mean, we're, we're in the middle of finishing up a, um, a re releasing Sworn Season 2 this summer. And we're finishing an episode on uh, just dedicated completely to race in the criminal justice system and partnering with the Georgia Innocence Project and are profiling some cases and talking to experts and really and getting that out there. And that's it'll I mean, when that comes out, probably be in August, I believe, when that episode will hit, um, it'll be perfect 
timing. And it's not because it was set up that way. It's just that there, if you're going to cover racial injustice in America, it was going to always be perfect timing. Because if not, if something didn't just happen, right. something is about. It's just about to happen. Yeah. So fortunate, but it's, it's something that um, we have to deal with. And I think there are so many, you know, great voices in podcasting from Ray McKesson and um, uh, Pod Save People. Um, Sean King is is uh, great on on uh, with his podcast breakdown and and being on the front lines on, on a daily basis. He's one of those people who uses social media and his email list and his platform in podcasting to get the word out. To I mean the the the, the how fast this stuff happens is amazing. When you know you see a, a cop abuse someone and then you see someone like Sean King put that on his social media and talk about it in his podcast put the picture of that officer up. And then 24 hours later, that officer is identified. The chief of police has had to make a statement about that. Like social media, social activism, community activism, it all ties together. And because podcast, you can sit down at any time, exactly like you guys are doing, exactly like we're doing, do it live or publish it, edit it and publish it. And it's out there and no one can stop. And when you, and it's not about monetization. It's not about, um, you know, scheduling this out so that right. um, it's the timing is perfect with your distributor. It's just like, look, we're just going to do this thing because now is the people are counting on us for news, information, direction. Um, so I think we um, we're 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 reaching out to other podcasters. We're figuring out how we can use this medium, and we want to take time to do it. I think, like I said, everyone is doing great things now. My concern is when it all dies down, what are we doing? And I want to have a yeah. plan for that, that right. time, um, and and so that people never forget that that this is a constant a constant struggle, and it won't be over when these like these officers are now arrested. It's not over, and will they be convicted? History tells us that they won't. At least not all of them. And if they are, right. not for the amount of time that we think they deserve. So the fight's going to continue. And when you know when on um, the the Arbery case uh, is is uh, tried, we'll we'll be right back into that. And then when when there's still no arrest in the Brianna Taylor case. So there's so many fights that we got to keep fighting. And I think podcasting, like you said, there, there is no one saying what we can and, and can't do. So if any medium is going to lead the charge, which, which one could it possibly be? Can't count on right. to do it. Yeah. Said, right. Their goal right. to get, is to get people to, not, I don't think their goal is to divide, but they know that things that are uh, divisive get people to tune in and right. no matter what organization i think they all need to be held accountable um you know donald trump says one thing fox news usually backs that cnn will say something different but they all have the same goal of getting coverage on the thing that are going to get people tuned in and most riled up so like we got a like killer mike had a great um was on a press conference with atlanta mayor um uh mayor bottoms earlier this week he held he said the same thing that the, the media has to be held accountable and that cnn and others have to start giving people hope and telling people what they can and should do not just how bad it is i'm tired right. of seeing breaking news and then it's not breaking news it's you know breaking news something happened 12 hours that's not breaking news give us something positive and give us a direction of what we can do who we should be listening to that, that's giving us other perspective not just the same people coming on telling us the same things and two sides arguing never connecting with the other people 
on the other side. And that's what we really need. Right. People who are talking from the middle, how we can all come together and affect change that will Im- impact everyone. You know, systemic racism, uh, if, if we tackle that, it does it, it, it helps everyone. It doesn't just help the people who are um, being oppressed by the by the system. You know, you legalize marijuana or decriminalize marijuana, it doesn't it, it disproportionately will it currently disproportionately impact uh, people of color in a negative way. But if mm-hmm. we if we legalize or decriminalize, that helps everyone in a positive way. So right. we have right. to gain by working together and, and there's nothing to lose by working together. So it's, it's, it's a win-win that we have to, you know, present that narrative to, to the mass, uh, to the general public. L- let me ask you a question. And this is, um, this is a perspective. So, um, in the recent years, we've seen a huge number of women come into podcasting, and it's—I mean, the, the probably the number of women creating podcasts now are growing faster than the number of men creating podcasts, which is a great thing. We see a large number of women of color coming in creating podcasts, but I do see that there is not as many men of color coming in and joining and doing podcast creation. How do we, how do we, how do we get more more men of color into the podcasting space, talking about these things? Because I. I really see, at least on my side, when yeah. I'm just looking at customer makeup from a, and again, I'm not even looking at content. So really content, you know, agnostic. We're just, it could be anything. It right. could be anything. Right. Yeah. But we're, we're not seeing any, as many as men of color coming in and tell stories. Now I got some good friends that tell some great stories and we have a great time and we laugh our asses off and you know, it's, it's great. Now, why can't we get those guys in and talking, just telling those fun stories, but at the same time getting down in the weeds. Do you do you yeah. think there's a reason why the men are missing? I don't know, and to, and honestly, I haven't haven't seen it that way. I have, I mean, and it could be the the level of success of that podcast, right? Like there there could be a hundred podcasts, uh, more than a hundred. There's just so many out there. Right? How many thousands of podcasts out there that are led by black men just haven't broke through? I think that's the bigger question. I have plenty of friends. And I have plenty of black men that come up to me at podcast movement that say, hey, I'm doing a podcast about black yeah. fathers. I'm doing a podcast about, um, you know, the interview podcast about music or, or culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. so I have I have those friends that I get and those people reach out to me. So I know they're out there. Um, have they broken through as much as maybe the fem- black female led podcast? Um, maybe not. I think uh, DeRay is one who definitely broke through. I've seen Sean King. You have Angela Rye with a podcast. A lot of black female creators um the nod is a uh, black male and black female um i think i think uh i mean it's, it's i don't know that i could say anything negative of why it's happening i can only say something positive of why black females are probably excelling i think they're just mm-hmm. black women are exceptional as a whole and are you know they're i believe i just read something that said they are black women are the most educated group in america and they are they are excelling in a way that no other um know group is and i think they're also entrepreneurs they are i mean especially in atlanta what i see is a a bunch of black black owned businesses and a lot of black um is business owned by black women whether they be restaurants hair salons attorneys um my business manager is a black woman who owns her own company and her staff is completely full of black women um so I think they're just excelling in life in general, and that just makes them excel in the podcast platform as well. And I think we need to, um, 
and, and I'm not saying that they're excelling in a way that they have kind of overcome what, um, you know, what the, the what systemic racism has done to the black community. But I think they have are just breaking through faster. But I also see them reaching back and, and bringing up other black creators as well, um, you know, in just work on the TV side, on the film side um, and now in podcasts. And I see a lot of black female and black male creators that are coming into podcasting from tv and film which i think is um is great as well so and i'm, I'm working with some of those people um and will be over the next couple of years so that's that's pretty exciting but yeah i think um it's good you I see that positive yeah. on it, but yeah it has to look a little bit deeper as well it's good that you see that because it just on the surface it, to me it was it looked like that that segment was listening i don't know maybe i'm completely wrong but it it, it this was the apparent thing rob you're going to say something yeah i was just um it's I think drawing a distinction of uh, uh, women of color and and white uh, w- women, I think, is not really the core discussion. I think uh, women, just in general, are very very talented communicators, and I think they are a natural fit to the podcasting space. It doesn't matter what their cultural background is; that's just their orientation. That's why we're seeing such fast growth in women in podcasting yeah. is because it's such a natural fit for who they are and how they communicate and, and, uh, making personal connections, which is what this medium is all about. You know, I think looking at the big picture of this whole discussion that we've had with Donald is, is what we're, what he's been able to successfully do is connect with people at an emotional level, whether it be positive or negative. And that's what this medium excels at, right? Is creating those connections and creating discussions and creating people thinking and I think what we're just talking about, about trying to, I know, and Donald, I'm curious about your thoughts on, as you look at the, the climate today, um, around crime and police action and race relations, is there an opportunity here, um, for the podcasting space to really kind of support what's happening in a broader sense? Uh, and I know we've been talking about that here a little bit, and it's really exciting that there's a lot of thought on that right now. But it seems like that there's, you know, there's so many people paying attention right now. And can that be tapped into for positive change and positive good? Yeah, absolutely. I think the main, the, the best thing you can do now is make your voice heard. And right. that's, that's difficult. It's less difficult for um, Black Americans because you... We we're we're speaking to our our our, our own community is behind us, right? But if right. you're someone who isn't political, if you're someone who um, has a less diverse friend group or family, family obviously, there are more there's more at stake. But that's when it's most important. So I think as an individual, I think just speaking up and supporting is what is, is the first step. As someone with a platform, podcast, I don't care if your podcast, you know, what it's about. If if you feel like, look, this is a cause I wanted to support there. I don't think it's ever a, a, a wrong time to support um, something as, as uh, important as human life and human decency and, um, and just, so I think you see a lot of people, no matter if, if crime is their profession or, or, or not speaking up and either doing it with their voice on social media or within their, um, in their their medium of choice uh, that's uh podcasting been great i think within podcasting there's 
um, like you said, there's there we said earlier, there's there really isn't anyone who can stop anyone from telling a story, but there are levels where how fast if that story can um, heard by millions, right? So right. I think it's about how do we as a podcast uh, reach out and implore the podcast platform, podcast uh, distributors and hosts to tell black stories, to have uh, black people in the room when, in, in when creation of these stories are, are happening, when mm-hmm. um, these stories are being marketed, when we're deciding what we're going to feature on our platform. Um, and I've seen some great lists and features of black creators, black content, um, uh, stuff that's socially aware. Um, so I think that's being done. Um, but I think we have, it has to be done not just when the country's being torn apart, uh, not just on black, not during black history. So it, it's one of those things where us, even as a, you know, the podcast Academy, um, I think that's, that's one thing that we can take on is like, how do we, how do we make sure there are more black voices? I mean, me being part of the Academy is, I, I think, obviously the, one of the reasons that I wanted to be part and because I'm, I'm really not insider guy, like I've been an entrepreneur my, my whole life, never worked for a corporate company or been part of a corporate structure. I've always run businesses from home and, you know, whether I was selling t-shirts, managing talent or whatever it was, I've, I'm an entrepreneur, but being part of something that is a, um, a, a body and organizing body for industry, um, I think that's important. And one of the first things that I said when we were looking for governors was we need representation from a black female um, as a governor as well, which and that was received well by by everyone involved. Um, so I think it's about having voices in the room. And one thing I noticed when I when I'm in rooms, whether I'm making podcasts in rooms, um, closing deals, uh, pitching a podcast to a network, I'm usually the only black face in the room, which means I'm the only black voice in the room. Usually, I mean, there are some people who may not be a person of color. Who will still speak up, have a an, an, an opinion or a supportive um, agenda for people of color? But it's you know how we think to myself: if I wasn't here, this room would be very white. It's already very white with with me in here because I'm the only one, and there's usually less less females than in, in, in males, and one black person, and that black person is usually me. So, um, and these are things that no one else sees. We see the content, we see these logos of all these companies, whether it's Apple, Spotify iHeart, uh, Intercom, Cadence 13. We see the logos, but we need to see the makeup of the company. We need to see who are the people in these rooms. You know, who who's who are doling out these deals to these podcasts? You know, saying let's take this out of your basement. Let's give you a production. Let's amplify your market, amplify your voice. If one, mm-hmm. if there's one thing that we can do as a body and as a as a network, is amplify other podcasts, other creators that are telling important stories, that are diversifying the uh, the, the content, but also diversifying the listening. If you can, if we can elevate black voices in podcasts, then we're elev- then we're expanding the reach of podcasts, to the black community. Once they're in, once they're under the tent, they need more content to consume that benefits mm-hmm. everyone. And that's always our goal. The biggest compliment you can ever give me as a listener is that, the, that my podcast is the first podcast you ever listen. Because we just brought someone in, and that helps everyone. So 
we need to go find the people who aren't listening to pe- and 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 find and tell their stories. And currently, I think we can do a, a hell of a lot better in in reaching out to the black community with with stories. And that's on on me as well. I'm part of this industry, and that that right. burden falls on me even more so than on anyone else because as as, as a black person, the burden on us is there's always a burden on us to um, take care of, bring up other black people with us. So, you know, I take this very personally and I hope that the industry sees it the same way and can, you know, implement some some change in front of the mic, behind the mic, in the boardroom, all those places. Uh, Donald, I don't know if you're familiar. We, we've been working with uh, Ebony.com and Ebony Jet Media for the past couple of months. They're building a, a podcast network mm-hmm. of of diverse voices and content and uh, if a podcaster wants to join their network, um, we've got a. I'm going to put this up on the screen here. Let's see if I can find the right button. Yeah, and we've also been working with them too. Yeah, so you can submit yeah. your podcast uh, over there. It's uh, ebonyjetmedia.com forward slash submit dash podcast. Just another place for you know place for distribution of content, and uh, it's a great team over there. So. Um, I don't know if, if you guys are familiar with what they're doing, but, uh, you know, they've always been a great voice. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I actually just had a, a conversation with someone about a, a podcast that, um, was with that was being pitched to, um, to Ebony. So uh, it was a great, great idea, great concept, um, that I'm hoping to get, in, get involved with. I mean, we, we, we try, um, the, the thing is like, we're, we're such a small company and, we're growing very fast and it just never feels like we're growing fast enough because the things that I want to do and the things that I can do are, are, are very different. And you can also <laughs> can't rush uh, something that you want to be, to be great. And I've missed out on a few stories that I really wanted to tell because they were important black stories. We're developing some right now. They're coming out as early as January. Um, we are um, working with some amazing uh, black creators. We had, Tony Harris is the host and voice of uh, Monster DC Sniper, um, and uh, so we're, we're there's there's so much that I want to do, and I'm the way we've grown and expanded it was was through partners. So I'm looking for partners who who uh, have the same vision that I have, so that what might take me twelve months to do it on my own would take me six months to do it with a, a, a partner who sees the same vision. So uh, we definitely have an agenda and a platform. That we probably will make public to be honest, because one thing that that i know is that this is no time to be silent so if you're working on something very quietly yeah. people need to know that now because they need to know that 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 they have our support and that we we have already been committed to telling black stories and, and exposing uh you know the, the criminal justice system in a way that that is very specific when it's in terms of race so um yeah we're this has made us accelerate kind of some of the things that we had already been working on, but also just accelerate mm-hmm. how we're going to market, talk about things. So um, it'll be, it'll be very interesting to see kind of the, the, the shift in content and the shift in listenership based on, you know, everything's going on in the world right now. Right. R- Rob, we're already an hour 45. Did you have any yeah. last questions for Donald before we wrap up today? Oh, I think we should probably wrap it up, Todd. It, 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 you know, it's been a great, discussion and donald it's been fantastic to have you on the show and and also it's 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 great to have you on the board of the podcast academy too so i I really look forward to to working a lot closer with you and 
and seeing what uh, we can do with this organization to really, you know, have a significant impact on the podcasting medium in a positive way. So, yeah. And if you're a podcaster and you haven't gotten something out of this episode, you need to go back and listen again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate yeah. it. Uh, you know, working with you, Rob, and uh, making, you know, fulfilling what everyone wants the, the Academy to right? Like, and that right. goes from everyone original podcasters to people who are just listeners and are interested in getting into to the, uh, to the industry. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of work to, to be done on so many fronts, but I'm, I'm, I'm game. I'm, I'm ready to, uh, to, to continue that work. And we're, we're looking for allies to, to jump into this right. fight with this uh, day. So I appreciate you guys. So yeah. folks go yeah, over to, you. go over to tenderfoot.tv download. Is there a good way for them to contact you? Is there, you, which, which way do you prefer? Um, Website, you can reach us through. I'm on social media at the Albright03, um, Twitter, Instagram, not on Facebook. But um, yeah, you can find me that way. Yeah, I'm a pretty open book. Uh, have a question, have a, you know, have a pitch. I mean, it's all about personal connection and communication. So reach out to me and um, odds are I'll get, I'll get back to you. Oh, I got a couple stories for you. Just- <laughs> <laughs> You know, you probably get more than you can handle, but uh, if anyone out there is thinking about this true crime genre, you know, there's a lot of, uh, I, I think you can, many things to consider, and I uh, hope that we've covered some of those today, but uh, yeah, yeah, Donald, thanks for being on. We definitely appreciate it. This was, this was fantastic. Um, again, you can reach uh, Donald at tenderfoot.tv, or it was DJ Albright 3 and Twitter. Was Did I get it right? D Albright. Yep. R I G H T zero three. Um, at that's on uh, Twitter or D Albright zero three. Awesome. Of course, I'm Todd at blueberry.com or at geek news on Twitter. Rob. I'm on Twitter as well at Rob Greenlee and you can send me an email, Rob G at lipson.com. I'm happy to hear from you and start a dialogue about podcasting. So thank you so much, Donald, for, for taking so much time out today to, to join us. And as we, yeah. uh, and as we leave you today, I'll put the screen up. You guys can see that for those of you watching, make sure you go over to the website, check their shows out get subscribed, get enthralled. But, uh, from us here at new media show, we'll see you on Wednesday at 3 PM Eastern. Uh, we'll be back with an episode of the show. Everyone, thanks. Take care.